Well, this morning, I'm going to share a little bit about uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, so last week, we celebrated Easter, and it was beautiful, and we had a ton of fun, and then we had 90 degrees uh, this last week, and then it snowed this morning. So welcome to Minnesota. That's a reality of, of um, where we are. But I hope that whatever you did for Easter with your friends or your family, that you enjoyed uh, your time. Um, and, and I'm going to... I'm going to start sharing today about the Holy Spirit. This is actually something that the Lord has been stirring in me probably, what, the last four months, um, four or five months, six months maybe, that I've really just been trying to understand a little bit more about what the Lord needed to show me and teach me. So we're going to, I don't know how long I'm going to talk on this or share about this. I just know that it's something that is relevant and timely for us to, to dig into uh, as we think about the Holy Spirit. Um, but before we do, uh, let's just pray together. Um, Lord, we just are so grateful for this time that you just filled this room this morning. We just are so in awe of how good you are, how much you love us, and how you continue to refine us, Lord. Just as we come before you this morning, uh, bless the rest of our time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before I jump into the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit as we know him today, I want to bring us back a little bit. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit historically um, and who he was in the Old Testament. And I say who he was because the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just this floating. He is a person. He is part of the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, I used to think this, or maybe I didn't think this, but I would feel this, that the Holy Spirit was almost viewed as the secondary of the two. You had the Father, the Son, and then the Holy Spirit is only if, only if you're in a charismatic church does the Holy Spirit move, right? And, and that's certainly not the case. So I, but I want to first look at some of the history of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament before we jump into uh, Acts. So uh, turn with me. No, nothing. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I think most of us know that. Uh, Genesis 1.1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 2. Uh, and it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. We all know the creation story. God created the earth, right? He took it six days to do it, and on the seventh day he rested. Well, at the very beginning, Genesis 1.1, it talks about what the preamble to that was, what he was doing beforehand. And as I was reading this, and, and as I was kind of studying some of the things, the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the waters, it was like there was this anticipation this anticipation that he was just waiting. As you continue reading on, God says, let there be light. And light was created and he separated the light from the dark. And the, the spirit was still there. He was hovering. He was co-creating. He was there facilitating. In Genesis 1.1, the word that is used that we have it in, in our translations, God, is actually refers back to the word Elohim, which is Hebrew, and, and Elohim in and of itself is actually a plural 
name of God. So if you're looking at it, it's not just God the Father, but it's plural. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all present. In, in John, it talks about that the Word was with God, the Word being Jesus, right? So we already know that when God was creating the earth, the Holy Spirit was there. It wasn't something that came later on. That was only a New Testament thing. No, the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning. Because we know that the entire Godhead was there. The Trinity was there. And the Holy Spirit played a key role in that. Again, He wasn't this secondary, all right, God the Father and God the Son, you doing your thing. I'm just going to hang out back here and, and wait for you to... No, He was very much involved. And He helped bring things into order. There's a lot of different theories about what the earth looked like before the light was spoken, right? But what I believe is that the Spirit of God was there waiting for God to move. He was waiting to just go, right? Waiting to go. There's a lot of theories out there. If you want to study those, feel free to do that. They're rather interesting, some of them how conclusions are drawn. But we know that God created the earth and the Holy Spirit was there. And it says that the earth was formless, formless and empty. This translation says formless is empty. Some, some other translations say formless and without void, whatever, whatever translation you read. Formless and empty, meaning that it was just waiting. It was like a blank canvas, waiting to be put together. And then as we move further into the Old Testament, after creation, creation happens, you know, we, we get through the book of Genesis, um, you know, Noah happens and the, the earth is flooded and we get through the book of Genesis. The Holy Spirit is mentioned throughout the rest of the Old Testament in several situations. But the one thing that I want to call out, and I'm going to teach a little bit today. I, I promise I'll get to uh, preach a little bit later, but I want to teach a little bit because I think it's important for us to understand this. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would only come and rest on someone. The Holy Spirit was really only used in situations where God had a purpose that needed to be, the Holy Spirit needed to be used. So if you look at it, Numbers 27 is kind of one of the first examples where you start to see that. Moses you know, brings the children of Israel out of uh, Egypt. He's about ready to die. He goes to Mount, the top of Mount Sinai. God says, look out. That's all this. And we talked about this on Thursday night, actually. That's all the space you would have had if you would have been obedient. And Moses says, well, Lord, if I'm going to die and I'm not give the people a leader. Give them a leader that they can look to. And what, what does God say to Moses? Choose Joshua. Why? Because the Spirit of God is within him. So he was intentional about choosing the next leader, not because that person had a bunch of clout, not because they were a great speaker, not because they were, you know, this incredible human being, but he was chosen because the Spirit of God was within him. So that's just one example. If you move forward to the book of Judges, if you want to get some, don't read the end of Judges to your children. We found that one out. It's a little, uh, little intense. Uh, but if you look in the book of Judges, there's two examples in that book where the Holy Spirit comes upon someone. Gideon is called to 
defend Israel. And if you look in Gideon, I want to say it's uh, Judges uh, chapter 6, it talks about how the Spirit of God came upon Gideon to be able to defend Israel. Then later in Judges, we learn of Samson. And there's multiple times that the Spirit of God comes upon Samson. There's a story where Samson is walking with his parents uh, to go find a wife, actually, and a lion comes and tries to attack them. It says the Spirit of God came upon Samson, and he destroyed the lion. And then later, Samson is a whole mess of a... If you want to figure out somebody who lived a unique life, you can study Samson. But later, Samson, again, it says the Spirit of God came upon him to kill 30 to kill Philistines, I think it's 300 Philistines, 30 or 300, I'd have to look back at it. But again, the Spirit of God came on him in that situation so he could be victorious. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 27, and this is more of a prelude, a prophecy to what uh, will happen in the New Covenant. It says, and I will put my, put in my, I will put my spirit in you so that way you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So we hear of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, but we don't ever hear about the Spirit of God dwelling in everyone. It was only for a specific plan or a purpose. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in the old heart. It's a filthy place devoid of all good and full of er, enmity towards God. His very operation upon our nature is to pull down the old house and build himself a new one that he may be able to inhabit us consistently with his holy spiritual nature. So in order for the Holy Spirit to indwell in us, we needed to be made new. That couldn't happen until Christ died, right? So we know that we can't have the Holy Spirit come and live in us until we embrace and accept the new covenant until jesus came died rose again and we have the ability to enter into that new covenant because the holy spirit can't live in a place that isn't sanctified to god right if you look at the old testament the spirit of god was present in the holy of holies right we've talked i talked about this maybe a few weeks ago where you know, the priest would go in with a rope tied to his leg because, he, you know, concern of him dying, right? Because the Spirit, it, was, it couldn't be in a place that wasn't sanctified. When Jesus died, the, the veil was torn, the Spirit was released, right? Not only could you enter, but now the Holy Spirit could go out, right? So we know that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit was there, but God used the Holy Spirit in very specific reasons and purposes. So now I want to take us into the New Testament as we dive in to understand what the Holy Spirit looks like in our relationship and covenant with Christ. So we're going to turn to John chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. So John chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. Feel free to turn there. We're going to stay in John. Oh, It's close. That's good. Uh, John chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. It says, But now, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples, But now I'm going to go to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you 
that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. The advocate won't come. Well, who's the advocate? We'll get into that. But imagine, you know, you have a leader that's saying, I can't, I know you don't want me to go, but I need to go. And if I do go, it's actually better for you than if I stay. I would think that the disciples would probably have a harder time with that. And Jesus makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit will be our advocate. Other translations translate that word advocate to helper, counselor, comforter, and so on. In fact, I think the Amplified has all of them listed because it's the Amplified. Let's be honest. Lots of words. Um, it's actually, the Amplified says this, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, and then in parentheses it says, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you to be in close fellowship with you. So we know that the Holy Spirit that comes and lives in every believer when you accept Christ as part of the new covenant is our comforter our standby, our counselor, our advocate. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know and understand that you, the church, are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells permanently in you, collectively and individually? So when we come into a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. Many of us know that. He's there to support us, to uplift us, to help us grow in our walk with Christ. But like anyone in our life, anyone who can give us advice, anyone that can speak into our life, it's our responsibility to listen to that person, right? Right? So as a parent, I tell my kids often, don't do that. It's probably not a good decision. Sometimes they listen. Oftentimes they don't, because they're young, they're immature, they don't understand. They haven't had the life experience to go, that's not a good choice. I'm, I want to try it, right? I want to try it. We have a play set in our backyard, and Lila, who's two, has no fear. She, she sees what all the older kids does and wants to climb to the top of the play set, like monkey bars and all, because she doesn't have an understanding that she's not strong enough to do that and will hurt herself. Lila is our child that we would love to just wrap in bubble wrap. Many of you know that. That's who she is. So the Holy Spirit, we know, is our comforter. He's our advocate. He's our helper. But we are only as good as we listen to him. Right? So the Holy Spirit can be leading us to do things. He can try and be our helper. He can say, hey, why don't you go talk to that person? Or, hey, maybe you should switch jobs. Or maybe you should. But if we go, eh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to listen. He's not helping, right? He's trying. But if you're not willing and obedient, it's hard. Just like you might have a best friend, right? And you're venting to that best friend. And you're like, this situation stinks. And your best friend looks at you and says, have you thought about this? And it might be the world's best advice. But if you go, ah, what do they know? and you don't heed the advice, you probably are going to perpetuate the same problem, right? 
So the, whole, the Lord gives us the Holy Spirit to help us, to be there, to support us. So I want to encourage you today, allow Him to help you. Allow Him to speak into your life. Allow Him to give you advice. Allow Him to lead your life. Allow Him, when you have tough decisions to make, do you ask the Holy Spirit first, what do I do here? No, I'm not saying when you get to a, a red light, which way do I go? Like, you can ask the Lord that. But when you do have a tough decision, like, what do I do? Do I change my job here, Lord? Like, I don't understand. You shouldn't be making that decision on your own. You should be relying on the Holy Spirit. He is there to provide counsel to us when we don't know what to do. I'm raising four kids. I have no idea what I'm doing. I've learned some things, but I don't know a lot. Graham is almost a teenager soon. I mean, he's only, only almost 10, so maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit. But he acts like a teenager often. And half the time he says, and I'm like, I've never experienced this. I, I don't know what to do in this situation. And often I will ask my parents, who raised five and five kids collectively. They've gone through that several times. But it also has to start with me. As I'm, I am the dad to my kids, I get to spend all day with them. So if I'm not asking the Holy Spirit, like, how do I do this? In fact, we had to go to the Lord this morning. Like, we're all out of ideas here, Lord. Like, we don't know how to navigate this situation with one of our kiddos. And we ask for his advice and his guidance. We don't always do that. And we should because that's what he's there for. He's there to provide counsel to us when we don't know what to do. And let's be honest, the Christian walk that we walk isn't always easy. It's filled with challenges. It's fun, but it can be tough. And that's why Christ sent the Holy Spirit. So, he needed us, he knew that we needed an advocate. What is an advocate? An advocate is somebody that goes forward for you, right? If you're sending an advocate or maybe a delegate, that person is going to represent you. So if you think of an advocate, you think of the Holy Spirit, he is going to represent you in front of the Father, right? He's also a helper, a counselor. We, he knew that we needed a friend to help guide us. This was so important, especially for the early church. The disciples, imagine this. You just followed Jesus for three years downloading all of the information from him, getting to see all of the incredible things, and then all of a sudden, poof, he's gone. And now you're left going, now what do I do? I don't have this person in the flesh that can tell me, that's not a good choice, let's do this, why are you doubting? Don't have faith, all the things, right? So he knew, especially for the early disciples, the Holy Spirit had to come to help them because that was their connection, Right? It's so important that we have the Holy Spirit, right? Think of your best friend. All you have a best friend, whether it's your spouse, maybe it's a, a friend that you've known since your, your younger years. What makes them your best friend? Think about that. What makes, what makes them your best friend? Maybe it's time that you've known them. It could be that you can be vulnerable with them. You can just share your heart with them and not feel like they're going to run the other way. It could be that they are that person that has been your person for a long time. I know we were talking about this last night at dinner. We have these little conversation cards with our kids, and we asked, who's your best friend? And 
Oh, Shri and I said each other, because I know that I can go to Shri when I'm dealing with something, and it's not going to be met with, I'm out of here. See you later, right? Like, it's going to be met with love and grace. Oftentimes, that person gives you good advice. When I'm struggling with something, maybe at work, I'll go to Shri and I'll say, what do I do? And sometimes she doesn't always have an answer. Sometimes she's like, I don't know. I don't work for Target, or I, I don't know how to navigate that. Shri also will call me out on something if it's something I need to change in a loving way. But she'll say, hey, that's probably not a good choice. Or hey, you got frustrated there when you probably didn't need to. That's what good friends do. That's what makes best friends best friends. You are so comfortable with them that they can correct you and you can trust them to give you advice and to really be vulnerable with. And that's who the Holy Spirit is to all of us. He is that best friend. He is that person that we can be vulnerable with. As we keep reading in the Gospel of John, John 16, we're going to jump ahead to verse 13. Jesus, again, is continuing to share with his disciples. It says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. And that belongs... To the fa- and all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever He receives from me. The Holy Spirit is there to guide us into all truth. All truth. He will guide us into all truth. That means He's there to direct our path. I'm sure all you've seen The Wizard of Oz, right? Right? We've all seen The Wizard of Oz. Who, who has not seen The Wizard of Oz? Gabrielle's never seen The Wizard of Oz. Well, here's a little synopsis. This lady falls from the sky and lands in the wonderful wizard, or the land of Oz and has to follow this yellow brick road to get to a wizard to get back to Kansas. That's the, the nutshell. Dorothy had a yellow brick road that showed her literally where to go. All she had to do was follow the yellow brick road, right? When I was a kid, I was in fourth grade, our high school actually put on the Wizard of Oz. Uh, and I was a munchkin. I was. I wore a flower, pat, a flower pot on my head. I was a farmer. And I, we, I had to sing, follow the yellow brick road. Follow, you, know, you know the song that they sing in the movie? I'm not going to sing it now because it's probably in way too high of a key that I could sing when I was in fourth grade, but probably can't anymore. But Dorothy had the yellow brick road to direct her path, right? I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the Holy Spirit directing my path, right? Right? Because the yellow brick road... She had no idea where, she was just trusting that it was leading her, but if you remember from the movie, it brings her through, and she meets the scarecrow first, right? And the scarecrow doesn't have a brain, he wants a brain. She's like, oh, come with me, maybe the wizard can give you what what you need. And then she keeps going forward, and she meets the tin man in the forest, and we all know the story, and and continues on. She She has to trust that this road is going to lead her where she needs to, and eventually it does, but not without challenges, right? The beauty of the Holy Spirit is He's going to direct your path exactly where it needs to go without having to, exactly, to bypass the hazards. And sometimes when we run into hazards, it's because the Holy Spirit said, wait a minute, don't do that. And we go, I'm going to go do that anyways, right? We, we try to direct our own path. And the Holy Spirit is only as good as we allow Him to work in our life. We are, and, and you know, I always think about this, and this is something from a ch- our, our church's perspective, too. You know when you have a fire, right? 
What's an easy way to put out a small fire outside of a fire extinguisher? You throw a wet blanket on it, right? You can throw a wet blanket on a fire and it'll douse it. And I often think in our churches today, we throw a lot of wet blankets on fires. The Holy Spirit's trying to stir stuff up in us, whether that's in ourselves personally or corporately as a church, and we throw a wet blanket on it because we go, that's uncomfortable. I don't know where you're going to take me. I don't, I'm going to stop that. Let's just move on. And I promise you that as a church, we will not be a wet blanket church. Amen. We will be a place that the Holy Spirit can move and flow and do what he needs to do. As uncomfortable as that may be at times, when you're sitting in the quiet and you're just waiting for him, we are going to sit and we will wait for him to lead us. Because that is what we should be doing. When Jesus was getting ready to ascend, in Acts chapter 1, he tells the disciples, you need to wait here in Jerusalem. Right? You need to wait here because I'm sending a gift. And then in Acts 1, verse 8, many of you know this verse, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Power. I've heard some people talk about it. It's dunamis power, right? Dunamis power. When we think of power, we think of a lot of different things, right? The disciples even thought of power in the physical. Because earlier in verses 6 and 7, they're still asking Jesus, when are you going to take out the Romans? We're waiting for you here. When are you going to restore Israel? And Jesus is not talking about physical, earthly power. He's talking about spiritual power. Jesus doesn't... He doesn't care about human strength. He cares about our spiritual well-being. Aaron was talking about that, I think, in prayer today. You just you have to grab hold of things in the spiritual realm. Not in the physical. Sometimes he shows up in the physical world. Oftentimes he's doing stuff that we can't see. And sometimes we are so eager for this physical manifestation of God's power that we forget that the Holy Spirit's doing a ton of work. We can all remember the services where you're watching and people are just falling over, right? Left and right. It's crazy. And you're sitting there going, why didn't that happen to me? Why doesn't that happen every Sunday? Because oftentimes the Lord will show up in a physical way, but a lot of times He shows up inside. He's taking care of things in your spirit that you can't see, and He relies on the Holy Spirit to do that. We all would love, I mean, I've watched, I've watched plenty of videos from Kenneth Hagin's camp meetings in the 80s and the 90s, and he's just walking around and people are falling back in their chairs, and it's this wild, anointed, incredible service, but that didn't happen all the time. Those are great. I, was, I, I don't know if, I think I was talking to, maybe I was talking to Dietrich about this uh, this weekend, uh, about summer camp and how summer camp was just the best experience. I loved youth camp. It was the greatest week of the summer. Maybe, it was, I don't I can't remember what time. It was the greatest week of the summer. And you know why it was? Because every single kid that went, we, we went with Living Words Youth Camp. Every kid that went was expecting God to move that week. He, the, we were going, going, I know. Do you remember what happened last year at summer camp? We're expecting the same thing. The same thing didn't happen. 
But there were some incredible services there. Why? Because people were expecting God to move. They were expecting God to move. We were going together in one accord expecting God to move. And it's no different in a church. If we all come together and we are expecting God to move, every Sunday can be like that. And that doesn't mean that every Sunday is going to be people falling over and being slain in the spirit. All the, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. It doesn't mean it can't happen. Think about the early church. Peter walked by somebody in his shadow. Healed the guy. He was walking in such anointing and power in the Holy Spirit that he didn't even have, he didn't have to walk up and say a perfect prayer and lay hands on No, he didn't because he was so in tune with the Spirit of God and was expecting that everywhere he went, he was moving and flowing and the Lord was using him. It didn't matter. And a really great example of the power of the Holy Spirit is in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, right? Many of us know that story. There's pillars of fire above all the people, and they start speaking in other tongues. We are a tongue-speaking church. If that is new to you, please come talk to me. I'll share about that in a few weeks. Um, and then Peter goes and talks to the crowd. This is the same Peter that, I don't know, two months earlier, roughly two months. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So do the math. It's, a, it's, about, it's about two months. Gets out and boldly proclaims the gospel because there's these rumblings. How are these people, how are they, what are they talking? They must be drunk. Again, thinking in the physical world, Peter gets out and delivers one of the most powerful sermons and says, no, 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 no. This is not what it's all about. These people have been filled with the Spirit of God and they are sharing and proclaiming the good news of who Jesus was. And you know what happens when Peter has the boldness when the Spirit of God comes on him? 3,000 people were saved. The church was started. 3,000 people. I mean, think about that. That's the town of Ellsworth, my hometown. 3,000 people. 3,000 people got saved. Like that. The church was created. Why? Because Peter had the boldness that the Holy Spirit had given him. Before the Holy Spirit had come, he was relying on his own strength. Oftentimes, that's why when you'd, you'd hear stories, Peter, oh, come walk to me. He tries to walk on water. He gets out there and then starts to sink because he was relying on his own strength, his own ability. The Holy Spirit comes. Now the Holy Spirit takes over. And the difference is in this example versus the examples from the early, from the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on them, and then he would leave. Here, the Holy Spirit came and never left. He indwelled and lived in Peter. So he didn't have to say a special prayer, God, send your spirit. And no, it was in him. It was in him. And he was not just, the Holy Spirit didn't just dwell in him, but he was filled with the Spirit, right? And I'm going to talk about that next week, but... The difference between just having the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and being filled with the Spirit. Because there's a difference. Anyone, anyone who comes to Christ, the Holy Spirit does come and dwell in them. But again, you have to activate. You have to, 
you have to activate the Holy Spirit working in your life. So I just want to recap. I'll try and wrap this up here. So we know that the Holy, the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, He was there at the beginning of creation. He was seen in the Old Testament being used in certain situations in a limited fashion. The New Covenant establishes that the Holy Spirit indwells in everyone who believes in Christ. He's our comforter and our advocate. He speaks and reveals truth in our lives. He is a gift sent from the Father. And not only that, He gives us the power to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus. We are empowered through the Holy Spirit to live out our faith in Christ. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to take some time continuing to talk. We don't talk about this stuff enough. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. We don't. We don't. We need, to, we need to pour. Like We just need to know that the Holy Spirit is going to lead and guide every aspect of what we do in this church. Every aspect. That is the vision, not just in here, but in there and in the nursery and on Tuesday nights at corporate prayer and at Thursday nights. At, if the Holy Spirit tells us we need to go run, whatever we're going to do, we're going to do it. Because that is what we are called to do. That is what the, the mission and the vision and what the Lord has put on our hearts. This church is meant to be a place that he can flow and move and do what he needs to do. And one thing that I, I think is really important for us to understand, the Holy Spirit can move in those kiddos just like he can in us adults. Sometimes it's easier for him to flow through kids and Anne was telling stories that when we were kids, oftentimes there'd be adults that would want to come into the children's ministry because the Holy Spirit was moving and flowing. Right? So those kiddos have just... So when you're at home, don't stifle. If, if the Lord gives your kid a dream, take it seriously. There's been moments where I'm just blown away the things that the Lord will reveal to Graham or Ruby, and I'm like, where did that come from? Like, this is so... Cool. So cool. And we're not going to stifle that here. If your kiddo gets up and has something the Lord's showing them, I hope that you say, yeah, go, go, go grab the mic. Go, please. Because kids see the Lord with a childlike faith. Right? Right? Kids see the Lord with a childlike faith. They can. And will, the Lord will speak to them. So we're going to close.